Welcome to the Endure Stronger podcast, made by runners for runners. We're your go-to guide to get stronger, bulletproof your training against injury, and build resilient bodies for life and racing. We're passionate about serving the runner community, and we bring you the most interesting and accomplished guests and speakers to inspire you and keep you entertained on those long, slow runs. I'm your host, Sam McIntosh, and I'm a writer and a certified nutrition and weightlifting coach. And I'm joined here by Laura Rutherford, a chartered physiotherapist and Pilates expert extraordinaire. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stronger and on Instagram and Twitter at EndureStronger. You can also join our Facebook community by clicking visit group on our page and sending us a member request. If you're enjoying the show, please, please, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you have any questions or comments or any feedback for us about the show, feel free to send them to us directly at sam at EndureStronger.com. Enjoy the show, guys. This week on the Endure Stronger podcast, we're tackling an absolute behemoth, mental health and running. In this episode, Laura and I talk about our own experiences with mental health and running, the positives and potential negatives of managing your mental health with exercise, as well as things like what to do when you're injured and practical tips for when running is your main stress management strategy and suddenly you can't do it anymore. At the end, we give you some tips and resources that you can also find in the show notes for helping your mental health, whether you're a runner or not. I'm going to be honest, this episode was a bit of a tough one to record at time, and we recount our own mental health experiences as they relate to running and otherwise, and I just wanted to put out a tiny trigger warning. We don't go into too much details, but if you're very sensitive to things like eating disorders and you just, you know, suicidal episodes, major depressive stuff, you're very sensitive to stuff like that, it might be best to give this episode a miss. I thought it'd be remiss if we didn't put something in there, giving it a shout out before we did it, that you know, it, we're going to discuss stuff like that. You can hear at points that both of us are uncomfortable, but mainly we just wanted to be as honest as we could and provide insight, help, and a little bit of humour into what can be a really difficult thing to manage. So here it is, our take on running and mental health. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Endure Stronger podcast. Uh, Laura, how are you doing this morning? Great, thank you very much. How are you? Mm, not too bad, thank you. I'm a little bit hot. <laughs> I'm... Uh... I slept okay last night. No, I'm just doing it. I'm not going to go into that. All right, so this uh, this week's episode, which is just us, as it is every fortnight, we're going to be talking about uh, running and mental health, which I think is, well, to say it's a buzz topic at the moment and running is a bit of an understatement. There's a lot of organisations cropping up, and the BBC, I've noticed, have started even started doing, like, uh, a news beat series called Running Stories, which is about running and mental health. Which is all for the good, but we just felt, didn't we, that, that a discussion was due on this podcast, and we've actually got had several requests from listeners to cover the topic. So that's what we're going to attempt to do. So I guess to start, that's our introduction, mm-hmm. running in mental health. Uh, I thought it'd be po- well. I thought it'd be the best thing to talk about our own experiences. So do you want to start by not to put you on spot by talking about <laughs> your experience? With running and mental health. Running and mental health. Okay, so if we go back maybe, I don't know, 10 years, um, I used to run a lot um, on a really regular basis, you know, a good, good five or six days a week. But for me, running wasn't, wasn't something that I did for pleasure. It was something that I did because I needed to, to as an escape, as a method of control in my life. Um, it was something that I didn't feel I had a lot of um, at the time, and that was something that gave me 
an element that I felt that I could control. I could control that I could give myself some headspace. That Running more, so you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that was something that I felt that I could do um, to help myself, to give myself some time, some time to process thoughts that I was having, deal with stresses that were going on. Um, and it was a way for me to yeah, es- escape, essentially. Um, but that sounds like a good thing. I think a lot of people will probably be nodding along and say, yeah, that's what... Relatable to a yeah, lot of people. Yeah, that's what running is for me. So how did it turn into... How was it a negative thing? Um, there, there was a point that alongside that, there started becoming negative ways I was dealing with that stress and control as well. Um, and I, you know, I really welcome everyone to start talking about the way that they deal with things. And in mine, the negative aspect of my control issues were bulimia. Um, and that's something that had been happening for a very long time in my life. And, you know, that was a negative way of dealing with control issues. Um, and the running... The purging was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the running for me just felt like a, a more positive way of being able to, to deal with that. Um, Definitely a more socially acceptable one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the thing is, but, you know, back then, and I'm hoping, like I said, now that it's more... Less of a taboo subject for people to be able to talk about. Um, but back then, no one talked about eating disorder. No one talked about the way that they would cope with with depression or anxiety or stress or control issues. No one really talked about it. Um, and I feel really grateful that we're now in a society where we can talk about that more freely and it is becoming a lot more um, yeah, free and encouraged to talk about the way that we manage and deal with our with our stress so yeah, yeah that the purging and the bulimia was definitely a, a negative way of dealing with um, mm. those issues but just to be clear Laura's laughing because that's what she does when she's nervous yeah because she course. thinks and she's obviously talking about herself not because she thinks she's funny <laughs> no I definitely don't think I'm funny so just so the the, the bulimia obviously is a, a negative way to deal with emotions mm. I, I might have misspoke a bit ago when I said you know it's not a socially acceptable way it's, it's beyond socially acceptable it's 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 uh obviously what's the word it's a pathological way of dealing with stress it's not healthy is it obviously to make yourself you know regardless of how you purge to vomit or to over exercise which it sounds like you were doing a mixture of the two you were you know purging and also um sort of indulging in sort of compensatory behavior indulging again not the right word I feel like I'm <laughs> speaking all over the word indulging in compensatory behavior by going out and running yeah but you did so it was a negative way of dealing with the stress but you did find um, tell me if I'm wrong here you did find that the running was actually a positive thing the, yeah there was there was a time where there, it was an obsessive obsessive thing mm. and it felt like something that I needed to do a compulsion yeah, yeah exactly um alongside but then there were so many positives to the running that as I started to work on those issues and started to work on the bulimia side of things, I started to see all the wonderful things that running was giving me in a positive way mm-hmm. and that I could take forwards as a long-term sustainable way of giving myself time to think and work through anything that I might be going through day to day. And it became a really productive way of just managing life without that compulsion or necessity to do it. And I think um, that's, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. I think that's a really positive message to send people because especially with the experience that I have with people working with people with eating disorders when they get to grips with their eating disorder and they say right I actually want to fix this whether that's binge eating or bulimia or anorexia they're very hesitant to take up running or to go back to running because they're like I can't separate that from my compulsion to control what I eat or to binge or that sort of thing 
and the compensating that I used to have to do. So I think that's really it's I think it's really positive and I'm very proud of you for being able to separate okay, I had bulimia and I was also running and at one point there was a negative thing, but running still uh, you've managed to bring running into a positive and separate it from the compulsion that you had with Absolutely. your bulimia. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just really important to work out what running gives you as as yeah. a positive and, and what it takes to... away. Yeah, exactly. Um so yeah. <laughs> That's enough about me. How about your experience with mental health and running? Ooh. <laughs> uh long answer to the question. I suppose I've I've said this before on the podcast, I've always run. Mm-hmm. Um I've definitely gone through periods where I wasn't very comfortable with my body and when, mostly when I was a teenager and I used to run to feel better about that. Um, I've always, unfortunately, I think, run from a place, especially when, especially when I was younger, then I need to lose weight, so I'm going to run. But again, I man- I've managed now to separate that um in from need to lose weight not liking myself basically to I actually really like to run Mm -hmm. so even though getting out when I was younger was about trying to lose weight and that sort of thing it provided me with a big base for running because I've run since the age age of about 11 or 12 never gone out in my life and not been able to run three miles even when I was a lot more overweight than I am now um and yeah I, I as I've always just running was my go-to to lose weight and also to be fit for football and rugby and that sort of thing. In terms of my mental health, it's only recently that I've sort of made the connection between running helps my mental health in a really, really positive way. When did you feel like you made that decision or that recognition? Well, before I answer that, it's probably best to go back to the start and give like a very brief history of like my mental health, I suppose, journey, which not a lot of people know. Um... I'm quite open about feeling down and um, having bad days and black dog days and going through periods of depression um, because I feel like that's my story, like my Diet Coke version of my story. It's like the light (laughs) version of my story. I don't really talk about the fact that um, I've always had really bad problems with like an anxiety disorder and a depression disorder and that culminated in me trying to kill myself when I was 15 and then having another breakdown when I was 18, another severe one that sent me into, into mental hospital when I was 22. Um, and then at that point, I was like, oh, I've kind of been in denial about the fact that I have actually quite a severe mental health condition. <laughs> and I had to really get on a program of regular checkups with my GP and medication and things like that. So, yeah, I talk about my depression and having bad days, but not a lot of people know that my mental health problems, when they're bad, they're extremely bad to the point where... Um, I wasn't sectioned, but I I self-referred into a mental hospital and I spent two weeks there. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's something I, like, don't talk about with anyone. And I'm actually kind of in shock that I'm talking about it on a podcast. But I feel like if other people can talk about this stuff, if you can talk about your bulimia and all the people that we spoke to this week about their problems, then I can talk about that. Um, Hopefully that sends a really amazing message to anybody else that they can talk or find somebody that they can talk to about these issues and feel safe to do that. Yeah, and... um, so so yeah, I mean that's and that's so that's my mental health history. I've been on to, the crux of it is I've been on antidepressants regularly since I was fifteen years old. Um, the first time I had 
real like a lot of um like industrial strength therapy was from the age of 15 years old and I've basically from the age of after I came out of hospital I was under the impression that I could never be off antidepressants because I was told that by a doctor by a psychiatrist like your your disorder is of the type that you should never be off medication so I've been on medication for the past 10 years with running running has actually and this is just a development in the past three months given me the strength to come off medication completely which I never thought was possible. So I was on the highest dose of uh, fluoxetine, which is more commonly known as Prozac, um, and I have been on it for the past three years. And since I made the decision to start running and focus on that, because it's just something that I love to do, um, I've been sleeping better, my mood's been better, and I made the decision. I've been off medication now for the past three months. And it's absolutely an incredible story to hear. And again, I hope that really resonates with some people and allows them to to just talk to people about what their options are and what they can do to help themselves. And everybody's story is going to be so different and everyone's going to get different things from it. But yeah, I think it's incredible that you've been able to open up about that today. Thank you. I feel, I'm really weird about accepting compliments about stuff like that <laughs> because I, I'm just mindful that everyone has their stuff. Like you've got your bulimia. I've had have a mental health disorder. A lot of people do. So many people do. We, we're finding out that like everyone does. The just, more we talk about it, the more we hear other people opening up to us. Yeah, so uh, it's difficult, but, you know, that's that's our experience. So that's um, trying really hard not to make an inappropriate joke because I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> but the that's that's our experience with running mental health. So, so you've, you, you're have you in a good place with running in because you've managed to separate it from a compulsive eating disorder, yeah, basically. I genuinely get enjoyment out of it now. Yeah, and I've taken it from I like it to... Basically, that's how I men- manage my mental health now, mm-hmm. is is through running. So, yeah, there are experiences. And, it, yeah, I guess I wanted to talk, moving on from that, about, which we've touched on a little bit here, the positives of running for mental health. They might seem obvious, but there's some really compelling... A lot of people know through accepted wisdom, you know, running makes you feel better and it gives you, like, the runner's high and endorphins and stuff. But there's actually some... We can go a bit deeper on that. Yeah, definitely. And we, I think we should talk about the negatives of running as well and when people take it too far mm-hmm. and how um, a relationship with running can turn toxic. Yeah. And how that is, I think it's really important to emphasise how that can change for everyone. What's toxic for one person is ne- not necessarily toxic for you and no, vice versa. Um, and then I really want to talk about, because we get this in our Run Stronger programme as well, when people get injured... It, how to stop yourself sliding into um, a, a, a down point because you you lose your way of self-regulating and you lose your way of managing stress. So we'll give some tips on um, what to do if you get injured and you rely on running as a stress relief. And we'll also, you know, push our general message is that you can stop yourself getting injured almost completely so you don't have to deal with that in the first place because that's what we do in our yeah, coaching programs. Yeah, exactly. um, and then we'll go over some questions and, and some tips. So where do you want to start next? So we'll start with the positives of running. Mm-hmm. So like I say, it's accepted wisdom. Runner's high equals endorphins, which equals um, basically a generally more happy person. And we've been we've been chatting to a few people that um, we know that work in psychology, psychiatrists, um, mm. wellness coaches, to just get sort of a bit of a vibe from some of the people that we know that work in the profession. Um, we had a really good chat with uh, one of our clients yesterday didn't we um who works in psychology 
Um, and it was fascinating chatting to him about it because he was like, well, of course, of course, exercise makes a, a massive change to the brain chemistry in the body. And even mm. just walking around for a little bit changes the amount of oxygen intake, which is going to change the chemistry in the body. Mm. And that's going to make massive changes, you know, in the brain chemistry and the way that we feel and the way that we you know perceive things yeah it was obvious to him yeah it's really obvious to him it's obvious to a lot of people but i think it's like accepted wisdom and some people think that pushes into old wives tell that running makes you feel better but it's actually a a physiological fact that when you run or when you move when you walk i should say and that goes to an important point that we can make later about what people like well i can't run you don't have to run you can walk or Mm -hmm. jog or whatever um it changes your fundamental state there's um there was a study that with the, that you found wasn't it where they put people in a functional MRI. Yeah, it was uh, really really interesting. And um, what it, was the control group? Uh, they didn't move, and then the other group was that they they walked exactly. or jogged. So or, they were on a static bike while they were in the um, fMRI machine. Um, and what they found from that was that the changes between the the response in the brain was that the hippocampus, which is a control control center in the brain for emotion, yeah. um lots of other stuff that it does obviously but that actually had significant and meaningful changes in its volume so it physically got bigger while doing exercise yeah and that's you know that's absolutely massive yeah that 10 minutes of really gentle exercise so even walking that's absolutely massive that it, all of these studies um came up in a podcast that i was listening to with um dr rangan chatterjee mm-hmm. um love listening to his podcast they're really informative but he's just so passionate about everything that he does and he was chatting to this um physiotherapist called brendan stubbs um Mm. about all of the research that he does he's a physio that works in mental health and just some of the research out there was just it's like why aren't we doing this it it Mm. seems so obvious to some people but they're really trying to get the message across about how effective exercise is for managing mental health conditions look look at me i'm someone who, who he has an exercise related career uh, a 17 year history of mental health and in the past three months I'm like oh oh <laughs> penny dropped <laughs> I can actually manage my mental health with exercise <laughs> because it is the exercise is causing those chemical changes so yeah. you know there are medications that you can get to give those changes but there are also chemical changes that you can make by moving your body, yeah, and which it's, is so freely accessible to everybody. It's worth saying that I didn't have, <laughs> I didn't even have the idea to try and come off my medication because I was running and feeling better. It was because <laughs> I was, I actually had a really bad patch, didn't I? Like a two and a half months ago, where I was, I had went to the doctor and he said, I think we should change your medication to, um, from, I think it's from a serotonin inhibitor to something to do with noradrenaline. Yeah. Um, and he said you need to taper off basically the the Prozac and then go on to this other medication and it was because I tapered off and then I was like actually do you know what I feel a lot better I'm sleeping a lot better I'm just going to see how it goes and I would recommend by the way anyone who does come off medication you need to taper off properly in line with um what your doctor recommends and your pharmacist because otherwise you get something called discontinuation syndrome and when you go on any sort of antidepressant or SSRI or something like that obviously you, you can't just stop cold turkey because it can, it's dangerous. Like it could, because you have a sort of way of managing your serotonin, and then it suddenly stops. Serotonin is not something if you're prone to depression that you just want to cut off. Mm-hmm. And it, you may not notice it for a few days or even a week or so, but I've done it before where I've abruptly stopped, and it's dreadful. 
So, so, so you need to give your um, body time to recognise that it's not being supplied externally and it needs to then generate it itself. Is that part of the process, do you think? It's just a tapering off. Yeah. Like you, you literally you have to wean yourself off it. So I did that, and in the process of weaning myself off, before I actually went, came completely off it, I rebooked my GP and I said... I actually feel a lot better. I want to try without medication. And she basically said, that's absolutely fine, but call back straight away if you have any problem. Yeah. So you have that safety net. And the option is, I don't want to put out the message that medication, you don't need medication, you can just run instead. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I thought that I needed it. And some people do need it, um, depending on the type of um, you know, condition that you've got, you absolutely need it. Like if you're schizophrenic or if you have bipolar disorder, you need to take, there's certain medications that you need to take to regulate them. For me personally, I found that running made me um, independent of medic of the need of medication. And um, it hasn't been without its difficulty. Like I've put on five kilos since I came off it because, um, well, fuck knows why. Like, but the <laughs> GP, like with this, these types of things, GP's like, yeah, that sounds... Um, that's not completely outside of the realm of possibility. And I was like, great. Training for a marathon, by the way. Cheers for that. <laughs> Could have told me that. But anyway, yeah, point is that you have to you have to come off it um, slowly. But my original point was that I didn't... It, it is an obvious fact, but it's taken me quite a while to get there myself. And I, when I did find it out, I found out by accident. So that's when I was like, okay, yeah. Definitely need to do a podcast on this and, and chat about it and... It's just raising awareness, isn't it? Yeah, and that sort of thing. So, the yeah, the positives of running are many of many and uh, various. But one of the other key triggers for for, for me to do the podcast is reading um, "Eat, Drink, Run" by Bryony Gordon. Mm-hmm. You remember when we went to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we listened uh, to it on audio. We didn't listened we? to it on audio book. For one thing, Bryony Gordon is a um, a columnist for the Telegraph, and she's written like three books has a podcast on mental health, um, works with Heads Together, which is the royal charity for, for mental health and that sort of thing. And she's fucking hilarious, isn't she? <laughs> she when we were listening is. to her book, it, like, she's so funny. She, and she's so relatable. That's the other thing as well. It just makes you feel so much better about some of the thoughts and feelings that you might have about yourself. Yeah. She, she like, really normalises it. She has... Hers, uh, the reason that I loved her book so much um, is because her condition is, like, worryingly similar to mine. Like, very... Um, irrational, all-consuming OCD when it's at its worst. Um, that's made worse by alcohol, which is definitely me too, isn't it? <laughs> so, um, but basically, Brian Gordon, she she was like a bit of a cokehead. She was an alcoholic. She had terrible problems with her anxiety, and then she uh, for the two thousand seventeen London Marathon basically got talked it into running it by Prince Harry for Heads Together, and the book just details her journey and how she goes from being all consumed with anxiety, um, managing it in any way possible, whether that's like a packet of mental cigarettes and two bottles of wine a night and that sort of thing, to gradually being a lot more okay just through running. And she didn't, what I love about the book is that it's not like this tale of, like, clean tale of redemption. She still smokes like a trooper (laughs) and still gets pissed. Like, there's a point in it where she's, like, mid-marathon training and she wakes up up in a hotel room covered in her own sick because she got pissed with her friend. And she, and it's just like, oh, love. Like, do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, you really feel for her. And she still runs the London Marathon, but the the whole point of the tale is that she doesn't do it perfectly. I think now Brian and Gordon is sober. And I think she gave up smoking in the end. And I'm pretty sure she doesn't do coke anymore. But, like, she... The first time she attempted the London Marathon and got in and caught the running bug, she was still, uh, like... I think she said... She she lost three stone while she was doing it, but she was still overweight. 
um, when she ran the London Marathon, still a smoker. Like she actually says at one point, I was dying for a fag. Her, her <laughs> trainer ran the Paris half marathon with her and had to say to her before the start, you cannot have a cigarette right now. <laughs> She actually, asked, I didn't hear that bit. Yeah, so, yeah. So, um, so she's fun, like she's hilarious, and I, I wanted to talk about her because, for one thing, I think a lot of people don't get into running or are put off by running as an idea of a stress reliever because they think they have to do it perfectly. And Bryony Gordon, Hundy P, did not do that, <laughs> and still had amazing results. And it set her on a journey ultimately where she's sober now. She's much more into her own self-care. I think I'm, I think she's quit smoking. I'd have to check with her on that. And she now... I think she's running the marathon again this year. Wow. Yeah. And she she finished the marathon, I think, in oh, oh, like five and a half hours or something like that. I know she did the Paris half and finished in two hours, 50 or maybe three hours or something like that. So you don't have to do it perfectly. No, to to benefit from mental health... To, to benefit your mental health by running, you don't have to do like a sub three marathon you don't have to join a running club you don't have to do anything you don't have to do anything go out and jog and walk and you will get you will reap the benefits of it absolutely do you know what i mean so um on the other side of that in terms of positives for running we were also listening to on the way to the richmond half this sunday um 26.2 miles to happiness by paul tonkinson mm-hmm. paul tonkinson is actually pretty much the polar opposite of Bryony Gordon, but he had the same message that running helped his mental health, but it was just different. Like he, the the book at its crux is about how um, he's always run since he was about 12 and he was a member of running clubs and um, like a local sort of schools champion and that sort of thing. And even when he was like raving in the 90s and taking ecstasy and, and doing beers and presenting the big breakfast, he still kind of ran every now and again. But then he decided at the age of 47 that he wanted to run us up through marathon and but the essential message is the same he's and he's always run he didn't just it's not a book about him just discovering it and oh my god my mental health is so much better his story is about he goes for what is, is essentially an elite time and finds out a lot about his mental health on the way in the process journey, yeah. yeah so it's not that he finds movement for the first time but he's always moved he just finds something um incredibly beneficial for his mental health in setting a big goal for himself so and that's so different isn't it yeah you know, everybody responds really differently and I think you know when even when we were going this weekend to do the Richmond half like the thought of setting a goal for me took the fun out of it and then you know actually then made it more of a negative experience the thought of just going out and enjoying it and just being involved getting just getting there and doing it was amazing mm. and then you know halfway through I was like actually you know I kind of really want to go for this and that that was that was awesome and I really enjoyed it at the time but for some people having that goal to work towards really then helps with that mental health aspect of it because it gives a goal it gives a drive and it you know gives purpose to going out for those runs which might be the thing that you need to get it all started in the first place yeah and I think in in some ways, Paul Tonkinson's journey and Brian Gordon's journey were just they varied by degrees, not kind. Mm-hmm. So Bryony Gordon had to get herself up and running and didn't really focus on the nutrition side of things. Paul Tonkinson was already running, but he had to stop making such frequent trips to Oddbins and um <laughs> eating better and training harder and with more purpose and actually pushing himself. And he actually I thought of you when I was listening to it, he actually says I've always run, but pushing myself has actually been quite a, a hard thing to do because mm-hmm. he's he has his sort of comfort zone. So he had to really step out of his comfort zone and 
really look at his nutrition, really look at his supplementation and hydration and basically set goals for himself in his training runs and constantly strive to meet them. And I think he talks about how um, there's always, there's two people telling him to quit. Uh, sorry, there's one person telling him to quit and the other person telling him to push on. And the guy, like little angel and devil on his shoulder. Yeah, and, and the the person telling him to push on is Anne Robinson. <laughs> and the person telling him to chill out is Snoop Dogg. Oh, wow, probably, that's probably, my innovation. <laughs> probably because Snoop Dogg is always stoned and is like, hey, man, why, why are you pushing? What's the point? <laughs> and I, I really related to his story as well because, because when now that I've started to set like goal times for myself instead of just turning up to half marathons and marathons and running them like I've always done it's difficult it's a different type of um release um it fucks with the endorphin high if I'm if I'm honest like because like Richmond half when I was going for a sub two it was I turned up it was fucking windy Oh my god! All of the, all of the marquees were blowing away. Oh yeah, it was oh, no, and ridiculous. I, I, my heart sank as soon as I got there. Whereas before, if I was just turning up to run it, I was like, "It's going to be a bit windy, so I'll probably be a bit slower than usual." When I'm like three minutes off a sub two half marathon, I'm like, "Well, this has completely scuppered it." And then the whole way through, you're not just running it and taking in the scenery. You're thinking about pace and cadence and form and am I being as efficient as I possibly can? And that's just on a carousel for two hours. Or it was for me on a Sunday. So I've got a journey now to keep the joy of my running along with trying to push myself. So when I was listening to Paul Tonkinson's book, I was like, this is, I know exactly how he feels. Because he goes from a run because I love it and because it helps me mentally to, I'm while I'm running, I'm pushing myself really mentally and, sh- and essentially stressing myself out. So do you, do you feel like you've got it nailed as to how you separate those two? Um, no. Or do you think that's going to be, a, again, a bit of a, a journey for you to discover how to do that and how to keep the love of it and how to keep the enjoyment and the benefits that you get for your mental health side of things? Yeah. And then, you know, it being a separate thing for you to do the training and the goal-orientated stuff. Yeah, and, like, we'll talk... This is probably a good segue into the negatives of running. Yeah. Fair, because fair. the... Pushing yourself... I believe is healthy and setting goals directs your training. Um, but when you let them take over, so I kind of let them take over on Sunday or came very close to it as in, I need to get a sub two, uh, I need to get a sub two half marathon. Otherwise this is a complete waste of time. I had to really talk to myself, especially through the last part of the half marathon to be like, you're still running a half marathon and there's people out there who can't walk. Like David, the psychiatrist we were talking about earlier, he had a stroke and he's paralysed down his left side and he can't run. He's, he's bloody close to it, especially with the rehabilitation programme that you've got. So I was like, really need to get some perspective, but it was extremely hard to get rid of the, I failed this half marathon because I haven't done it in sub two. So I mean, yeah. and it was very, I was wrestling with it and I think I just about, by the end of it, came down on the right side of it. But it wasn't, for the most part, an enjoyable experience. Like, you came back absolutely ecstatic because (laughs) you'd actually ran the whole way and you thought, because, you know, with your hip dysplasia, that you were going to have to run and walk it. And you'd finished it a lot quicker. And I was actually a bit jealous because I was like, I've just just got a three-minute PB and I feel pretty flat. I don't feel, yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Um, So it was a very different experience for the both of us, even though we did the same race. It was the least enjoyable half marathon I've ever done. Like I've done seven, I think, mm. um, and the fa- it was the fastest half marathon I've ever done. 
that was the least enjoyable. And that's, that's like I say, a good segue into how this becomes... And it, 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 it can become a negative thing. And the first thing that I would say, how running or your relationship with it can, can become negative and stop it being a positive mentally, is um, the first thing would be focusing on the numbers. So especially if you are... If you struggle with your mental health because you're a perfectionist, um, because you have you know excessively high standards, you have all or nothing thinking, basically describing the worst parts of myself right now. <laughs> then uh, when you start, if you really love running and you start to take it seri- more seriously, you can fall into, I'm never going to be good enough, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna accept myself as a runner and as a good runner when I hit this standard the bronze standard for my club the silver standard for my club the gold standard the gold let me just tell you from experience and i had this with olympic weightlifting you, it just gets further and further back as soon there's as never going to be a top there's never going to be a, yeah. a number that you're going to be happy with because there's always going to be ways that you can push yourself yeah further but yeah is that giving you joy or is that becoming a negative yeah and for me it was like yeah i've got 130 kilo deadlift i don't care i want 151 do you know what I mean? And I'll be, I'll consider myself strong when I do that. It's just the same with running. Like, I just want a sub two half marathon. I was three fucking minutes off it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it was an incredible achievement. It it was, it was windy and all sorts of other factors. Not to sound like I'm making excuses. Like I have, I have put on five kilos. Mm-hmm. So essentially running with a weight vest and stuff. But yeah, it can get into bad territory when you start to get really focused on times or you become one of those people that spends the race looking at your Garmin instead of looking at the scenery and taking in the day and that sort of thing. Because mm-hmm. the whole point of it, and I said this to you, um, when you were worried about the race and that sort of thing, I was like, the whole point of it is to enjoy it. If you're not going to enjoy it, there's there's pretty much no point. No. But that's definitely something to, to think about going forwards with any of the races and stuff that we book in for the future. Yeah. And... Do you know what was really great about it is that after after we came back, you did a race report and it really allowed you to reflect on how you were feeling throughout the, the race. Is that um, the one we recorded? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really useful because it just brings to the forefront of your mind how you felt going through it. And if you can look back on that race report and think that was a really positive experience, great. Mm. If you look back on it and think that that's now a negative experience because we're getting too worried about the numbers or too worried about any of the elements of it, mm. actually then maybe it's time to to re- readdress or just discuss it a little bit more to see what it is you're getting out of it and why. Or just time to readjust your expectations. I mean, there's probably people out there listening to this who are like me in that you set really high expectations for yourself. And... Um, like just as an example, I've only been running properly. So I did a, my first marathon in 2012 on a broken ankle. That <laughs> put me off running for running properly, as in um, more than like once a month or something for a good ooh, uh, seven years before I started training for the Ironman again. And when I started training for the Ironman and r- running like two or three times a week, I was like, God, how much I love this. This is great. And, you really did. Yeah, and worked with you, obviously, so I wasn't in pain when I ran and changed to a mid-forefoot strike and that sort of thing. But it's... It, it was... I've only just started running again properly for like in the past year and a half. And I've done lots of things in the past year and a half that have switched it up. Yeah. My, my weight's obviously fluctuated. I've changed from a heel strike to a mid-forefoot strike. I've increased my cadence. I've really looked at running form. 
um, and mobility practices and basically sought to become an expert myself in strength and conditioning for running. So, but it's still just a year and a half is what I'm saying. It's such a short period yeah, of time, and, isn't it? Yeah, um, so, and, and it's a lot of change in the middle. I signed up to a training peaks programme seven weeks ago with a coach for a sub four marathon. That is just ridiculous. <laughs> like, when, like when I look back at it now, like and that's seven weeks ago. Seven weeks ago, Sam, you're an idiot. Like, I I ran Liverpool in four hours, 28. Um, it, it was windy then as well, wasn't it? Oh, it God, was like six bad miles luck, of bad, bad luck with wind, but I just thought, yeah, sub four, yeah. Cool. I reckon if I gave myself 12 weeks to prepare, I can do that. Okay, so let's let's challenge this. Why did you give yourself a sub four goal? Numbers. High expectations. Um, looking at something and saying, yeah, I want that. I don't want 4.15. I want to do something dramatic and something that will give me a big boost because it will be a big achievement and it'll be even cooler if I can do it in 13 weeks. Yeah, sounds really cool on paper, but when you put yourself <laughs> through 13 weeks of trying to meet a goal of that magnitude, taking half an hour off your man- marathon, idiot. Do you know what I mean? It, and it's really cool to get PBs, of course it is, but then, so let's let's play devil's advocate. What if you go to this Manchester marathon and you get 402? Are you going to be ecstatic with yourself because you've gotten like a 28 minute PB and that's fucking awesome? Or are you going to feel disappointed in yourself because you'd set yourself a four hour goal and you've missed it by two minutes? Uh, probably the one you just said. Yeah. No, I'm not saying I'm going to be like that, but in my in my head, because, and this is where I suppose my, you know, air quote expertise gets in the way. I know that I'm still a fairly newbie runner. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So someone who's been running consistently for 10 years, trying to take half an hour for your marathon in 12 weeks is just a no-go. But I thought, I've still got, probably got some newbie gains and if I and if I, I could probably do something pretty cool and that sort of thing. Turns out it was just too much of a stretch and it was too high an expectation. And yeah, if I finished it in... But before I had this experience at the weekend, if I finished it in 4.05, it would have been seen as a failure when, when actually it's pretty fucking massive. It is massive. Um, so, yeah, I'd, and what I've done since then, I've, I've spoken to my coach, I've adjusted my expectations and just recommitted to the process of, okay, I just like to run. So when when I go out and do my training runs, I'm just going to run. And, and enjoy it. Yeah, my Garmin's there to beep when I'm going too slow and beep when I'm going too fast, and that's all I need to focus on. I'm just not going to look at my watch as much and that sort of thing. Anyway, I feel like... The negatives of running is, is taken up by a lot of chat about me, so I'm feeling quite self, self-conscious. <laughs> but I, again, I think that this is something that a lot of our listeners will relate to, um, and I think it's a lot more common than, than we think. But, you know, again, the resounding message that I think I hope comes across is that we love to run and we want to continue to enjoy to run, and the benefits that we can get from running yeah. for physical and mental health are massive. Yeah. So we need to remember why we're doing it in the first place and need to remember that we love it and we need to, to still be fun. And protective, protect it as a positive thing in your life. Yeah, exactly. So we looked at that, um, BBC News, the, the running stories, and the guy, you know, his friend killed himself and um, his running became a way that he coped with it. So mm-hmm. he'd spend hours on the floor of his bedroom, he used to get out of it by going for a run and then it became a compulsion that if he needed to deal with anything, he'd go out and run. But he had to. He had to, yeah. And that's the difference. And maybe we can talk a little bit about that. How do you identify when it's a negative or a positive? Because what that makes me think of when we were at the National Running Show with the mental health panel, someone said in the quick Q&A, how do you motivate yourself to get up and go when you really don't want to? 
And it's like, oh, not an easy answer to that. Because if you self-batter yourself and say, you have to, otherwise you're a piece of shit and that sort of thing, you're not good unless you go for a run, negative. If you say to yourself, it's probably going to make me feel better. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lace up my shoes and I'm just going to go outside and jog for a minute. And if I still feel okay, then I'll carry on. It's different, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's a completely different approach. It's being kind to yourself. The second approach is being kind. The first approach is being disciplinarian and regimented. and You're not good yourself. enough yeah. unless you do this, yeah. And the, the guy at the panel, who shall remain lameness, a guy from TV, basically said, well, I was in the military and it's all about discipline great, why are you on a mental health panel? Because it seems like you're pretty awful at it, at giving advice. Uh, whereas another person on the panel said, just like what I said about um, just getting out and going out for a little bit, um, thinking about like a growth mindset, being committed to the process. Um, and I would say from experience, sometimes it's, just, it's better not to go for a run. Controversial opinion. I think like yesterday... Um, I do Pilates with you every week to help my running. And I said, you know what? I, I'm not, I'm really, really, really tired. I prefer to just stay home and do some yoga and read. Yeah. And, and that worked so well for you. And I came back and your your face was different. Like you were relaxed. Yeah. Um, Pilates is much better for my running, much better for my overall plan in terms of my running, in terms of what I've got planned for Manchester and that sort of thing. Wasn't for me at that point. That wasn't the best decision for you yesterday. No. And I would say to people who are wondering, how do I know when to quit, when's a positive time to quit, and when's when I should push through? It's basically about trial and error. Yeah, okay. So if you really don't feel like going, try going out and jogging for a minute. And if you hate it, you can always come back. If you like it, you can always carry on sometimes the hardest thing is just getting started isn't it and yeah. actually once you've overcome that initial barrier then yeah. you can you know get the benefits and the enjoyment out of it that you just hadn't had the ability to do by getting out the door in the first place so even just getting out the door can be a massive massive start I think for me I, I did the trial and error on the other side of things I thought well I won't go and then like six hours later it's just like I still feel shit might as well have just gone. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It hasn't done me any good. I'm not restored. It hasn't done me any good to take time off. So it's try. Yeah, I'd say it's try and error. If you really don't feel like going, try it both either way. That would be my. That would be my answer to that. So, yeah, gone over the positives of running. So the the endorphins. The what was it called? The neuro. The BDNF. Yeah. Brain drive neurotrophic factor. Yeah, so that's if you want to do to look that up, that is a protein in your body that literally changes your state, emotional, physiological, and that sort of thing. And a lot of the um, neuro neurology in your brain and yeah. neurogenic pathways. It shakes them all up, apparently. Yeah. And I would encourage people as well to not see, and this is the crux of running the mental health, your brain, your soul, your mind, and your body are not separate things. If you change the state of one, you will change the state of the other. You can't, you can't separate them. No, you can't. So that's one of the big positives of running. I hesitant to even say running, walking, jogging, movement in general. If you change your state physically, it's usually, it usually follows that you'll have some kind of shake-up mentally. I'm not saying if you're feeling suicidal, I know what that feels like, or if you're going through a tremendous amount of grief or trauma, that it's going to fix something, but it will change your state and shake you up a little bit and 
stop things settling in a really negative way. It gives opportunity for change. Yeah, and if you want stories about that, Inspiration, Eat, Drink, Run by Brian Gordon, 26.2 Miles to Happiness by um, Paul Tonkinson. They're like more recent books on the running and mental health side of things. Um, and the negatives of running. So when is it, when are you becoming obsessed with numbers? When is it becoming toxic? When is it becoming about I'm not a good person unless I do this? That's when it becomes toxic and it's different for everyone. And the person that makes that decision is is ultimately you. Yeah. 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 So, um, and the message that we both want to deliver through the, about the negatives of running, um, if it's toxic for you right now, if you've gotten into a bad space with it, you can separate it because you've done We've it. We've done it, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's something that I can look back on and just be really proud that you can recognise when those negative aspects are coming in and being able to talk to somebody about that and just saying, do you know what? Actually, I'm doing this and actually I'm not sure why anymore. And what, what, do, what am I actually getting from it anymore? And do I feel better after having had a run or do I feel, you know, like I've deserved to go for a run or I haven't deserved? Like there's just so many emotions that can go with it. And I think mm. just being able to identify how you feel at the end can be a good indicator as to whether you push those boundaries um, yeah. into toxic. And you're, you're not the only one to go through bulimia and oh, find, find redemption in running exercise. I think... Um, Jess Robson, who founded Run Talk Run, she had bulimia. And um, I think, I want to say she was on the BBC recently, the same newsbeat thing about how it helped her manage her anxiety. And it's also, I think what's good about her, if you follow her on um, social media, Jessica Mary Robson or Run Talk Run, she's really honest about the fact that she does run and it's good for her mental health, but it doesn't cure everything. Like she still has panic attacks and anxiety and that sort of thing. It, it won't, it's not a cure-all like be all and end all but it will make you feel better if you can and if you do have you know a history with compulsive eating or a history with compulsive purging or compulsive exercising Mm -hmm. it is possible to to recalibrate how you think about exercise because at the end of the day that's part and you can speak more to this having an eating disorder part of your recovery is relearning food because you can't neglect food you can't you can't neglect movement is a part of everyday life yeah food is a day part of everyday life and it's not like you know say for example with a a chemical or a cigarette or a drug it's not something that you can completely eradicate from your life movement and food are an integral part of life you have to have them in order to live so finding a, a moderation and a level of nutrition and exercise and movement that works well for you to benefit mm. your life is going to take some time and some experimentation yeah um but having people around you that you can talk to about that really does really does help it does and i think that's a really good point in that a lot of people putting food and exercise food and movement together are essential and we're obviously extremely biased in that we believe that exercise is a necessity but it is Every single thing that we know about um, human anthropometrics and um, history, like in the story of the human body by Daniel Lieberman, in Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, humans are supposed to move quite a lot, more than the average person does now. And we're supposed to do that, and it's ingrained in us to such an extent that things start to go, start to collapse and go, 
south really quickly when we don't do that in a mm-hmm. chronic way. It so really lifestyle-related diseases, type 2 diabetes, even things like Alzheimer's, cancer, obesity, which is one of the biggest causes of cancer, not a lot of people know that, all caused by fundamentally a lack of lack of movement and exercise and overeating. So, but food and exercise are two things that you need. So if they're your problem, either a lack of one or too much of the other, you have to address that. And you've got to get the balance right. And when you do, your life's going to be much better mentally, I would say. Okay, so big question that we get in our programmes. Now that we've established that running equal happy, happier. <laughs> um, which people probably knew before they listened to this anyway. Um if, if running is your main stress relief, and you can speak to this as a physio because you've had loads of conversations like this, yeah. if running or some type of activity, regular activity, is your way of managing stress, what do you do when you get injured? I, I think when I have people come to me and it is their main stress relief that, that they're running, I always ask them what it is about the running that makes them feel better, what it is that they get from their running. So I do have a lot of people that say actually it's just the time out of my day that I get to think and analyse and process everything and just have some time by myself. And I think that in this day and age, we we don't think enough. We don't give ourselves time to think and process. We're constantly bombarded with social media and we're constantly around people. There's so much coming at us from every direction all the time that we never really get time to process and think. So if that's a reason that people are coming to me and saying that they're so desperate to run, well, actually giving themselves time to even maybe just go to a coffee shop on a Saturday morning and have some time by themselves. Or, you know, my favourite thing when I'm not going out for a run is to lay on my hammock. And I don't do anything. I don't listen to anything. I don't read anything. It's just you fall asleep. <laughs> Sometimes. If the, sun, if the sun's out, <laughs> I definitely will. You always fall asleep. <laughs> give you like 10 minutes and I go back outside and like she's asleep. <laughs> but I think it's just finding what is what you're getting from your run and finding another way to do that and you know what do you find that you get from your run that if you were injured you would um try it's, to replace it's the physical exertion so the post-exercise highs are like the endorphins and the fact that one hour plus of cardio a day i found and i found during ironman training helps me sleep a lot better and deeper and you know how important sleep is to me mm-hmm. and you know, even in my, I said to you this morning, like even in my deepest, darkest depression days, I still slept. Yeah. My body, it's like a touchstone to my, from my body and my mental health that is a non-negotiable. So, and running for me makes me tired enough that I sleep really deeply and I'm very well rested and ready to go the next morning. So I, I would, if I got injured running, I'd definitely be cycling. Yeah. And you yeah. would find some other way because you've identified it. It's the the cardiovascular endurance yeah. um, that gives you that chemical release of you know the endorphins and the serotonin and all you know all of that stuff that makes you feel better but then say if you injured your leg you could go swimming or if you yeah. didn't do impact you'd do cycling or you'd find another way to get that cardiovascular exertion yeah um, in so that's what works for you and everybody is going to be different in what they get from it um and again just being able to talk to somebody and maybe you know brainstorm a few ideas that you can get what you need in other ways yeah. um we're yeah. always happy to talk to people about that so if you've got questions about that we're not promising we can always give you the answers but we're definitely here to to brainstorm and um 
be able to challenge challenge that with you. Yeah, and I think what some people suffer from is all or nothing thinking. Like, well, if I can't run, I'm just not going to try. It's like, okay, well, you said this was important to you and it's a stress relief, so I think it's important that you try because going without your regular stress relief, it's just like coming off the medication, the discontinuation yeah, yeah. syndrome thing. You'll become snappier. Your your family life will suffer. Your work productivity will suffer, and then it becomes a downward spiral. And yeah, you will end up in a pretty deep depression. I don't like to cycle. Ten like it's at a one to ten ratio of how much I enjoy it compared to running, <laughs> but it gives me the indo- the most important thing to me is the post exercise high and how it helps me sleep, and that does that even if I was stuck on a stationary bike. Um, and the secondary thing to that is getting out and being in nature, and you can do that on a bike. I don't love it. Do you know what I mean? When I was training for the Ironman, I absolutely hated long rides for the most part. Yeah. But I'll do it as as a necessary form of stress relief. And like you said, and I think it's important to pick up on that point, identify what it is about it that give that gives you the bang for your buck in terms of stress relief. Yeah. If for a lot of people, like we were talking to Kerry Wallace from Girls on Hills, it's just getting outside. Being in nature. Yeah. And if that is the case. I mean, if you if it's summer, you're in luck because you can open water swim. I mean, as a physio, do you know of a common injury that stops you from swimming? Um, rotator cuff issues, frozen shoulders. Then yeah, there there are a few. But if they can't swim, they can exactly cycle exactly. So and if a rotator cuff, walk and yeah. they can go hiking, and you know, there's there's so many there's, other things that you can do. There's no, I mean, a better question was, do you know of a common injury that stops you either swimming or biking? both together yeah not many no there's not is there like you can so it's extremely rare and even if you do there are ways around it do you know what i mean like um make friends with your old ladies at your aquafit class like what's (laughs) wrong with that that's that's chatting to go to an aquafit class recently that's chatting with you know some probably really nice old ladies getting a little bit of a workout in a little bit of a steam room a little bit of a sauna getting your stress relief in that way there's always options and there's no harm in trying different things just because you might not realize that there's other options that could work for you yeah. go out and try something different you could open up a whole new world of exercise that you really enjoy enjoy just by being kind of forced to try different things because of an injury yeah get outside of your comfort zone but identify what it is you like and don't be afraid of admitting for example I just get to get away from my bloody kids for two hours. <laughs> if that is the case, like you say, then the problem can be fixed by a coffee shop or, you know, going to the cinema or something like that. Exactly. But be proactive in other activities that will give you what you need from running. Mm-hmm. And yes, accept the fact that it's not going to be as good as running. Just accept that off the bat. But tough and- love time, tough shit. You're injured <laughs> and you need to keep your cardiovascular fitness up if you're serious about your running but more importantly, get the stress relief that you're always looking for. Absolutely. One of our primary drivers, and it's worth saying here, in our Run Stronger program, one of our key hooks, isn't it, when we talk to people about the program, is like, we'll stop you from getting injured. Yeah, that, that's the absolute driver behind and the program. When you say that to people, they're like, oh my God, really? Like, it's 80% of runners get injured every year, at least once. Once or twice. Once yeah. or twice. So that's... That's if that's say ten percent of your training year, ooh, ten weeks taken out of their training, ten weeks of not running, ten weeks of finding other ways to manage their stress, and we say to them, what if you didn't have to do that? What if you just trained all year? How good would you get? How how much stress would you relieve? 
how much momentum would you build up? And if, if running is the, the thing that you love because you it, man, it helps you to manage your lifestyle and you just love to run, well, then this is the problem that we find that most people have is that they just love to run, so they go out, but they forget the fact that they love to run for the reasons that they love to run. So when there are suggestions for stability training and looking after your nutrition and looking after your strength, Actually, those things are just as important as doing the running themselves in order to be able to continue to run and do the thing that you love to manage your life the way you want to manage it. Yeah, so it's it's what you should think of if you if you fight, struggle to find the motivation for strength and stability. Now, that's the type of thing where I would say, yes, that does take discipline because the running is the part that you love. Strength and stability is the keeping you on your feet. Yeah. Like, if you want a guarantee that you're going to be kept on your feet, then strength and stability is the way to go. Because, especially with the with the the main, well, the most common runner that we see, you have at least one movement fault that is going to sideline you this year. Would you agree with yeah, that? I think that's a really fair statement to make. I think that I mean I I pick up niggles that I jump on and do a lot of like frame roller work and that sort of thing and manage them and prevent injuries. But my run in form is, I've I've worked really hard at making it good, and I still pick up impact niggles or that sort of thing tiny ones that I have to jump on and manage and if I didn't manage them they could potentially flare up yeah of course um not least because I'm carrying five extra kilos and just carrying more weight is putting more stress on my joints not a lot but when you start fatiguing it's just going to be exacerbated slightly quicker yeah like like when I was at the end of that 15 mile run my shoulders were hunched forward Mm -hmm. and your form declines especially if you're training for distance events niggles are inevitable there is the old sort of metric, you know, humans used to walk or run 21 kilometres a day. Yeah, not in two hours. Over the, <laughs> over the course of a day. You see what I mean? And if yeah. you do it in two hours, then you are going to pick up niggles. If if you're not consciously... Because you're fatigued. And, them. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So if you want... We've talked about what to do when you get injured. If you want to avoid being injured completely, and I'm, I'm going to put it out there, completely, learn how to manage your niggles. Stability in the form of Pilates or some kind of 10-minute routine, which basically is Pilates, <laughs> and strength training, which, by the way, is fun. Biased, but that's fun. You can you can definitely turn it into something fun when you become more confident. So, yeah, I think that's... Um, we'll round off with, like... We've already gone over quite a bit of tips. Um, and that was the main question, like, what do you do if you get injured? Um, I just wanted to talk briefly about like the response that we got from asking people for their experiences with mental health so it's really wonderful the amount of people that sent us in questions and their own stories for us to be able to to see and share and talk about with each other yeah there's a there's a facebook group member who spoke about you know i was never a runner or even someone who was into movement but my husband was um and i found it transformative when it came to managing my depression when depression came my way um there was a guy on Instagram, he sent us his wife's blog because she lost her brother um, to cancer at the age of 40. So she took up running in 2018. That was, for me personally, that was really moving. I've got a younger brother and also she she lost her dad to pancreatic cancer. I lost my granddad to pancreatic cancer. Um, the, the stories that were shared with us, yeah, I, thank you. Yeah, it's thank worth you it for everybody. sharing them with us. It's, it, we know it's it's not easy, but it's important that we all keep doing it because running and mental health are increasingly being put together for a good reason. 
you know, there was a panel on it at the National Running Show. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and, and I think that it was very busy in the audience. We couldn't find a seat. I think could that we? was the busiest, yeah. busiest talk because I think there were so many people that saw it in the program and thought, "Do you know what? That's the one that relates to me the most. That's that's kind of the re- that's the reason that I do it." Mm-hmm. And to hear other people talking about their own experiences, you know, is a really vulnerable thing to do. But I think it really reaches people on a deeper level and gives other people more confidence and to be able to talk about it, to do something about it, and to to make this a positive part of their life yeah and I think to wrap this up what I wanted to just put out there is just some resources and stuff that you can go to if you're struggling with mental health because I think it's important to keep putting that out there Mm -hmm. and um, I'm sure there are a lot of eye rolls a couple of weeks ago when you know the news broke that Caroline Flack had killed herself and a lot of people were posting you know numbers for the Samaritans and that sort of thing and some people might are old and just be like, oh, God, you know, that's it's like, no, people really need to know that if you're struggling, you don't have to suffer in silence and don't let it get to the point where you feel like you have to take your own life. So in terms of resources, I would say if you're struggling with mental health, in my experience and um, the practitioners that we've spoken to, it can be eased a lot just by talking to someone. So if you have a run talk one in your area, if you go to at run talk one on um, Instagram, um, you can join a running group and it's a gentle 5k jog and you can just talk um, with the run leader. If uh, Bryony Gordon founded Mental Health Mates, which is a similar sort of thing, you jog and talk for, um, I think it's for 5k or whatever, and you, they go as slow as the slowest runner. So you can talk whatever there. If you feel like your problem's, um, you know, more acute, like you're struggling to get out of bed, you know, however, whatever feels not right to you, go to your GP. You know, if you if whether that's eating disorder or depression or anxiety or anything like that, go to your GP and seek more help. And yeah, if you're really, really, really struggling, call the Samaritans, 116123. I would say even not even when you're really struggling, I think they can be a fantastic resource for the person that's feeling like that, friends and family of the people that are feeling like that. And I think that, you know, they are a wonderful service that can be utilised by anybody at any stage. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're just there to listen and, you know, it's it's a wonderful resource to have. So, yeah. yeah and we'll stage. link to these in the, in the show notes. Mental health help is, luckily for us, increasing and everywhere at the moment. And as a final thought, if anyone says, if anyone feels... If anyone makes you, makes you feel different or other or belittles you for expressing some sort of problem with mental health, fuck those people. <laughs> because it, that's basically that that's a backward and totally wrong way to look at it. That says more about them than it does about you. It does. And it's okay to not be okay. And um, we want you, obviously, to keep running strong and happy. That's one of our missions with Endure Stronger. And um, hopefully you found this podcast interesting interesting and useful um for your running and mental health i think it's probably like 30 percent more f-bombs than usual <laughs> can tell that i'm quite passionate pas- about this passionate topic. about that um i think we should try and get jess robinson just jess robson sorry or or and Bryony gordon I, yeah i think there's a few people um that we can that, talk to yeah exactly that it'd be great to do a follow-up on this podcast i would just love to talk to Bryony gordon she she is hilarious <laughs> like um 
Which is, which is funny enough on an, on an audio book, you know, yeah. let alone actually being able to get some sort of on-the-spot stories from her. I think it'd be great. Yeah. That bit, like, she basically, there's a bit in the book where she goes to a health camp, doesn't she? And they give her a metabolic age <laughs> after she weighs herself. And they're just like, it's 41. She's like, what the actual fuck? <laughs> we both just absolutely giggled. Just burst out laughing. Yeah. It's just like, oh, it's relatable. Absolutely relatable. I mean, that was my response when I realised I'd put on four or five kilos. I was like, oh, I'm going to cut it's probably okay, step from the scale. What the actual fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Jesus. Supposed to be a nutrition coach, Sam. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll wrap it up there. So this has been our podcast on running and mental health. We are going to be back next week with a podcast with one of our esteemed guests. If you haven't joined our Facebook community already and you're stronger for life, you can search it on Facebook or is there, there is a link at facebook.com forward slash endure stronger i've been sam mcintosh i've been laura Redford. Uh, let us know what you think of this podcast in the comments on whatever social media platform you found this on and if you could write us a review on itunes because that really helps us uh find uh, other people well helps other people find us and, and discover subscribe. the show and subscribe if you haven't already and as always send in your comments or questions to our social media or sam at endurestronger.com